The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I am Shannon Penrod and I'm so excited to be here with you. I was, I was busy on my phone before. I was watching somebody make tallow candles out of potatoes. Don't ask me. Uh, but I'm so excited to be here with you this morning because look at this topic that we're going to be talking about. Top 10 tips for when things aren't going well at school. This is the time of year where most of you have been back at least a month. You've given things a fair try. You've uh, tried to work things out and maybe something isn't working and you're like, I don't really kind of know what to do. Well, we're going to take that on today. We're going to cover the whole thing and hopefully you're going to leave with a bag of tools because it's different for everybody, right? Everything is, is different for each individual, but a bag of tools so that you will know kinds of things that you can do, kinds of action you can take, kinds of things that you can ask for to maybe uh, make it better. But I want you to know that you can be writing in your specific issues that you're having at school so that we can talk about which tip that would apply to or which tips it would apply to. Uh, I want to welcome you here. We are live right now on a variety of different sites. I love how hard you guys are working to make sure that you find us and, and see where we are. But we believe, I believe that we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. We are taking questions starting right now. I've got the questions right here in front of me. But please like us, share us, subscribe, let others know because our mission here is to provide information and inspiration to you at no cost to you. That's been the mission for 13 years. We've managed to keep the lights on, but we only do that through viewership and sponsorship, and they go hand in hand. If we have viewers, more people sponsor us, and we're able to do more programs. So that's my little pitch. Like, share, review, let others know. We appreciate you so much for doing that. That enables us to do more things. Like, talk about this. I, I, I Carol Merrilled it wrong. It's reversed. Uh, anyway, our topic today is a parent-to-parent -parent talk. Uh, our, our 10 favorite tips for what to do when things aren't going well at school. Now, I'm going to do what we normally do here where I'm going to run down through these top 10 for those of you who need to run and, and have very little time. But then I'm going to go back and we're going to dig into each one of them, okay? Let's start out with number one you always have the right to call an emergency IEP. And we'll talk a little bit in the longer talk about when and why you would do that, but that is always your fail safe that you can call an emergency IEP and I hope that you are doing that. Number two, you want to gather as much information as you can so that you understand exactly what the problem is. And that's hard, but think of gathering information. Some of my favorite questions are asking what's happening before whatever is happening and who knowing who has eyes on the situation. I think you're going to find a lot of times that it, the answer to the second one is no one. And that might be the problem. Uh, but you want to be in a, you, and you have the right to this information about knowing what's happening, what happened before, and who has eyes on the situation, plus a bunch more questions I'm going to go over in a minute. Number three, uh, here's a long list of things that you can ask for. You can ask for an IEE, you can ask for a SIA evaluation, you can ask for an FBA, you can ask for an LRE evaluation, a recreational aid eval. 
preferential sitting, a one-on-one aid, accommodations, push-out, pull-ins. That's just the beginning of the list. And if you don't know what some of those letters are, oh, you've come to the right place because we are going to talk about what each and every one of them is and why it might be helpful to you and your kiddo today in the longer talk. Number four. Uh, oh, there's number four. Uh, I'm going to ask you to consult with your ABA provider. And if things aren't going well at school and you don't have an ABA provider, I'm going to ask you to consider getting an ABA provider because we can't put it all on the school. We can't just say, you guys take care of it and we'll be at home doing that. We could say that, but it's not what's best for our child. And we would want to be mirroring anything that needs to be worked on at school. We need to be working on it at home too. And that's the way we're going to get to success. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. Number five, uh, you're going to prioritize safety. And it should be that you shouldn't have to because the school is doing that. But guess what? This is the thing that's going to motivate them more than anything else to do what's right when we prioritize safety. So let's do that. It's what's best for our child and it's what's most effective with the schools. Number six, uh, I'm gonna, from now on, I'm not going to put these in black. I'm going to put them in white. Uh, make sure that school is fair. No matter what we figure out, we're going to put it through that litmus test. It has to be fair. They can't be asking your child to do something that's not fair. That's not right. We're advocates for our kiddos, and this is the be-all. Safety and this, boom, right? Uh, if we know that we have those two things, we're going to be in good shape. Number seven, uh, we're going to create a brand new plan, and you're going to do that with school. But if things aren't working now, we're going to figure out what's wrong, and then we're going to create a new plan. And I'm going to tell you how you're going to involve yourself in that to make sure that it works. Number eight, uh, we are going to check in daily on that plan. I know we all want to have that Ron Popeil thing where we set it and forget it. No. Um, it doesn't work that way with the school. You have the IEP and everybody thinks, set it and forget it. No, you got to check in daily and I'm going to tell you how you can do that easily. Number nine, you got to ask for help. And this is the hardest thing, right? Because we all feel like, oh, I should be able to do this myself. I don't know anybody who does this by themselves. Uh, I, we have, for those of you listening in podcasts, we have an image of a car in a pit stop with a bunch of workers working on all ends of the car. You are going to need some help and support through this. And we're going to talk about who you might ask for help for different situations. And last but not least, number 10, you are not going to relent. Um, I love that I always quote Holly Robinson Pete early on after my son was diagnosed. She did a blog about here are the eight things that she wanted the world to know about autism. And one of the things that she said was if you can't be everybody's friend. And if you're a parent of a child that's been diagnosed, and she said, if when you're walking down the sidewalk to go into your child's school, if the admins in the office aren't looking out the window and going, oh no, here she comes, then you're not doing your job. Uh, love Holly, love that advice. We have to be willing to get down on the mat and wrestle for our kids. And so we're going to give you some advice about how you don't relent. Okay, there was our, our top 10. Now we're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to go through these and, and really dig into them. So let's start with number one, call an emergency IEP. And I know for some of you are like, well, I, I know this, of course, of course, of course, of course. But let's talk a little, for some of you who don't know that this is your right, you can call an emergency IEP anytime you want to. I would caution you that it's not something you do just because it's Wednesday right? Calling an emergency IEP, for instance, let's take a couple of scenarios here and feel free to write in with questions, you guys. 
Um, but if, let's say that you get a note from the teacher and the teacher says, um, hey, we had a little incident at school today. And, you know, there was a little shoving match with your, between your child and another child. And I just wanted to let you know. And, and here, it, here's basically what happened. And we'd appreciate it if you would talk to him, right? I would have a bunch of questions. I did kind of fold my paper here. Do you know how, when you, if you watch the show regularly, I need to get better markers. I always talk about the, the three-term contingency thing. And I fold my paper because I want to know the ABCs of behavior. A is for antecedent, what happened before, B is the behavior, and C is the consequence. A lot of times, the teacher will send home a little note and say, oh, you know, there was a scuffle. There was a shoving match with your child. We would like for you to talk to them. So that's them telling you the B, right? Sometimes they will tell you the C for your child. They're never going to tell you the C for the other children. They're not allowed to. Or at least they say that. I'm not sure how accurate that is. But, you know, I think there's a little bit of truth to it because you don't want them to tell another parent what the consequence was for your child, right? That's private. So maybe it is a thing. But anyway, they're giving you the information about the be the behavior. Oh, there was a tussle on the playground and your child and another child were shoving each other. Okay, now we know what the behavior was. Thank you. I'd like a little bit more information that, but I'll take that. And then sometimes they'll tell you the consequence. They'll say, and so your child was put in a timeout and they had to sit on the bench and they didn't get to finish kickball. Okay, I would want to know a little bit more than that too, but at least I know what the consequence is. But notice, very often from school, they don't tell you what the A is. Now, I think that this is the most important thing and, and I was taught very early on, whenever you get a note home from school to respond and say, what happened before? Because that's what the A is. It, th this behavior did not happen in a vacuum. It didn't spring out of nowhere. Your child didn't just suddenly decide to shove another kid. Something happened before, and if we don't find out what the before is, we're not going to be effective at dealing with this behavior. Because let's talk about Temple Grandin for a second, that they called her from her mom from school and said, you need to come and get Temple because Temple just threw a book at another girl's head. And Temple's mom, Eustacia Cutler, said, well, what happened before? Why did she, Temple doesn't just throw books at children, other students' heads, so what happened before? And the Temple will tell you that the girl called her the R word. And when faced with that, her mother said, oh, I'm glad you threw the book at her head. Did you mean to hit her in the head? You missed. Did you mean to miss? And Temple said, no, I meant to miss her. I threw it in her direction to get her to stop, but I did not mean to hit her in the head. And mom said, good job. Now, we can talk about there are better ways of communicating, but I think we can all understand the frustration, and we're going to deal with this in a different way, knowing that this other student said something inappropriate, right? Then we're gonna have a conversation about how are you feeling about that? What could you do instead of throwing a book, right? We can be more effective. But school loves to just tell us your child misbehaved and here was the consequence. It's incumbent upon us to ask what the why was before. Now, I usually say the three strikes, we need an IEP meeting. Now, this doesn't apply to everything because if I find out that somebody tried to strangle my child on the playground, I'm not going to wait for them to do that three times, right? I think it's a certain amount of common sense. But if I get a note home from school and they say, your child engaged in a behavior that was unacceptable, I'm going to go back and say, what happened before?
And then I'm going to work with that teacher to see if we can't correct this right now. And depending on the severity of how badly, like if my child is hurting somebody, then I might go right to let's ask for an emergency IEP meeting. Um, because here's why. If your child is repeatedly doing something that endangers the other children, very quickly you're going to have an IEP meeting that is not called by you where they're going to tell you that they're going to put them in a more restrictive environment. And sometimes that is the exact opposite of what your child needs. In fact, if we were to find out what the antecedent was, what was happening before, we might argue for an even lesser restrictive environment that would be appropriate for your child. So I guess my point here is you got to put this through a little bit of a filter and say, when is it an emergency? And don't call an emergency when there isn't an emergency. If you've had one situation on the playground, um, that is not an emergency, unless somebody got seriously hurt, right? But if it's happened twice in a week, then I start going, okay, what are we doing about this? And if I get a third note, no, 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 no. No, we're calling an emergency IEP meeting. If your child is ever in danger or endangering another child, emergency IEP meeting. If your child is not getting the services that are in their IEP clearly defined, emergency IEP meeting where you tell them you're out of compliance. That is the phrase that you will use. You are out of, a, out of compliance. I need an emergency IEP meeting for that, right? Um, anytime safety is involved, emergency IEP meeting. Everything else, I give them a couple of tries, three strikes, you're out, okay? Um, so don't be afraid to call an emergency IEP meeting, but here's a couple of tips. When you ask for an emergency IEP meeting, do it in writing. I suggest that if there is a safety issue or that there is a lack of compliance that you put that right in the ask. I am asking for an emergency IEP meeting because of safety issues. Don't go through the whole thing with them. Don't tell them all the different safety issues because then you're going to have a discussion that's not at the IEP meeting. But if you say, I am requesting an emergency IEP meeting for safety issues, they better get moving. They better get moving and they better give you that meeting and it better be too sweet. This waiting a week or two weeks for an emergency IEP meeting that I'm seeing currently is not appropriate. I had another word. Did you watch me edit that? <laughs> it's not... It's, uh, no, it's not acceptable. So don't be afraid to push this button. I think it's far more often that parents should call an IEP meeting and don't and say, I'm going to wait, I'm going to do whatever. I've seen a couple of parents that just try to push this button for anything. But that really isn't the, the, the norm. I think it's much more likely that you guys hold back and go, well, I'm going to give it one more week. I really want to encourage you to think about your child and your child's well-being and their experience at school. And if things aren't going well, we're, for some of you, you're 60 days into school. If it's not working, you need, you need this now. Um, so, you know, when, when you need to push this button. Okay, let's move on to number two. So we've already talked about, you know, that anything happens at school and you're notified about anything happening at school, you should be asking what happened before. And then I would also revisit the consequence thing and say, and so what are you doing about it? There is this strange phenomenon with school that they will send notes home as if you're going to fix it. And it, it's so interesting to me. And I've used the phrase, you guys have watched The Incredibles before. I have used this phrase and said, I am not Elastigirl. 
Uh, he is at school. I am at home. My arms can't reach to school. What are you doing about it? Because I cannot be there at school to fix that. We are going to talk about how you're going to work at it at home, but it is not your responsibility. It is the school's responsibility. So gather as much information, know what's happening before, and it is absolutely key to know when this thing is happening that isn't going well, whether you're the one who's calling it out or school is the one who's calling it out, who has eyes on the situation. This is so telling. Because if your child comes home with a bruise and you write and say, why does my child, first of all, take a picture of it, right out the gate, like the minute your child comes home, you have your phone, you, have a, you see a bruise, take a picture. Um, and then go back to them and say, I would like to know where this bruise came from. And if they say they don't know, that's a problem, right? If, if when you say who had eyes on this situation and they say no one, that is a problem. All too often, our kids who are on the autism spectrum are at school with too little support. I feel comfortable saying that. It's a generalization, but I feel comfortable saying that as a former teacher and as a parent whose child went all through elementary school and as a person who has volunteered at schools across the country, <coughs> excuse me, and been at IEP meetings, I, I think and worked on a committee for a prominent candidate about IEP reform, I feel confident in saying to you, our kids are under-supported in the classroom. According to IDEA, your child has the legal right to enough support, and it doesn't say, you know, but up to this dollar amount, enough support for them to be able to succeed in the least restrictive environment in which they can access the curriculum. So not do all of the things in the curriculum, access the curriculum, right? If your child is, is not able to sit and hear the lesson then without acting out and hitting people, then no, there probably is a more restrictive environment which is going to be appropriate for them. But a lot of our kids can do it if they have the right support that is there. So one of the things that we do is we ask, so who does have eyes on the situation? And when we're told no one, that is part of our argument to fight for more support. Well, then we don't have enough support. This happened because you didn't have enough eyes on the situation and my child requires that level of support. Do you see how we, we get there? But you have the right, school gets squeamy when something happens. You have the right to ask questions and say, what happened? What happened? Who's responsible? Who has eyes on the situation? And, and ask what isn't happening, right? You have the right to ask during the time period that the thing happened, what was the, the educational goal for my child during that time and who was measuring that goal? And if they say no one, that's another problem, right? And it's all part of how we fight for more support. So do your fact-finding mission. Don't let them deter you when they act like, well, you know, um, the teacher has it all under control and no, no, I have been a teacher. If you have 20 students, if you have 30 students, I've been in a classroom where I had 45 little lives that I was responsible for. It is impossible to have eyes on every single kid every single minute. And teachers, you can be a great teacher, but you can't be responsible for all that. And teachers cannot fight for an aid for their students who need them. They can't. That's not a part of, they can, they can say this child could use some more support, but they will not be encouraged to fight for your child. That's our job.
we have to fight for that. Teachers will appreciate it. Every single time I fought for an aide in one of my son's classrooms, the teacher would come to me and say, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, because they want the support for their kids too. Nobody goes into teaching because they're a slacker. They don't last long if they do that. But they know that their kids need more. And having another person there to help and support is truly awesome. So gather as much information, make friends with people. You know, I always say volunteer at the school and sometimes you'll go and they don't even let you in the classroom and you're working the copier. You can make so many friends in the copy room and eventually they'll bump you up and eventually you'll be in the classroom. You'll know who you can trust, who's going to tell you the truth and give you the 411 on what's really going on. Cultivate those relationships. I know you're working, you have a lot of things on your plate, but I'm telling you it's worth it to have an in at school. Okay, or even just ask the other moms who are volunteering and getting in there, so what is really happening? I know uh, for me that was a priority that I'd be in the classroom and that I'd be volunteering and there were a couple of times that I went to other moms and said, you know, you should know this is what's going on. And um, yeah, I'm that kind of a troublemaker. That's me. Anyway, moving on to number three. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can ask for um, that are really helpful. So uh, if you're having troubles at school, and again, we're generalizing here, and we're trying to figure out what you might be having trouble with, write in if you want to say something specific. But let's go down the list that I have here, and this is just a beginner's list. So an IEE is an Individual Education Evaluation. The school's going to do uh, evaluations every year, and especially for your every three years for your triannual IEP, they're going to evaluate your kiddo. While we're talking about that, I really want to encourage you when they start asking to do the IEE, um, ask them to do it not during class time. Ask them if they can do it before school, after school, because your child's going to get behind while they're doing their evaluations. And their evaluations are not always really beneficial to your child or you. So don't let it take up valuable. Look, here's the thing that I always say that, um, why is my alarm going off now? Um, that, that's not what I always say. Uh, my, my son's school wouldn't allow me to drop off his lunch during core instruction time. They would say it's disruptive. We don't disrupt core instruction time for anything. I appreciate that. I really do. But if I can't drop off lunch during that time, you can't pull him out to do your silly little evaluation. Sorry, rules don't go both ways. Um, don't let them take your child out of instruction that they desperately need to do these tests. But school will do these evaluations and they will have their results and a lot of times they're just not useful. Um, uh, we could speculate on why that is, but you have the right as a parent, if you don't feel that their evaluation is thorough enough or you don't agree with it or you don't recognize your kid in it, um, or, they've, or they've done the evaluation and they've recommended something and you don't think it's appropriate, you have the right to ask for an IEE, an Individualized Education Evaluation, by a third party that's not at the school. And guess who gets to pay for that? Not you. The school has to pay for it. And you can ask for it. That's all you have to do is ask and say, we would like an, uh, an IEE. Now, the school is going to tell you, oh, okay, but why, right? No, you can just say, because we disagree. And you don't have to go into lengthy detail. You don't owe that to them, right? You just say, uh, we, don't, we, we disagree, so we would like an IEE. And the school is going to say, okay, we'll, we'll send you a list of people for you to pick who from, you don't have to pick somebody from the list. You can go pick somebody from outside of their list. 
and you still aren't paying for it. So if you disagree with what's happening, feel free to ask for the IEE. Now, the, the SIA, I, this was never on my list until I met this fabulous BCBA. Shout out to Marcy Fibro, who uh, turned me on to this evaluation, which I think can be very useful in some uh, considerations. And I'm, of course, I'm not going to remember exactly what the SCIA stands for, but it is a valuation to see um, if your child, if a one-on-one -on -one aid would be appropriate for them. Uh, so I'm usually a fan of going in and just arguing for the one-on-one -on -one aid and not arguing for the SIA, but for some of you where you're not getting any traction, ask for the SIA um, and say we'd like him evaluated or her evaluated to see if an aid would be appropriate. Could be a thing. It's going to cost them time and money and they're going to move slowly. Push, 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 push. I, I will tell you honestly, I think it's best to just go in and argue for the one-on-one -on -one aid on a whole bunch of things that we'll talk about in a second and see if you can get it without the SIA. But this is an ace in your pocket that you can force them to evaluate for it. And you're, they're going to, they, they're really not supposed to lie on these evaluations. So there we go. You can always ask for an FBA. An FBA is a functional behavior assessment. It should be done by a BCBA. And you can ask for an FBA to be done by a BCBA. And I know, just saying all those letters, it makes me crack up because there was a day and a time where I would have been who, what, where, an, an FB what by a who, what, when. Um, an FBA is a functional behavior assessment. A BCBA is a board certified behavior analyst. Every school should have one of them on board. Every district is, I think, required to have at least one and they are probably overworked. Um, but you have the right to ask for that. And if they have to hire out somebody outside, they should do it. Why? Why would you need an FBA? What is an FBA going to do for you? If your child is engaging in a behavior that is considered a problem behavior, um, then you have the right to the FBA. The person comes in and it's a whole structured approach. They're, they'll interview the teacher, they'll interview you, they'll try to watch the situation. They're trying to figure out what is the function of this behavior. So this child is biting other children, why? They're gonna look at that A, B, C and figure out what, are they doing it for attention? Are they doing it to escape something? Are they doing it because it feels good? Because the intervention for all of those choices is vastly different. If somebody is doing it for attention because every time they bite somebody, the teacher comes over and says, Bobby, why are you doing that? You know you can't do that and then takes them by the shoulder and walks them over someplace else and says, you know, you can't do that. That's attention, right? And if they're doing it for that reason, we would give attention, so much attention all of the rest of the time, but we would not give it when the child is biting. That's a very specific intervention. We would have the, we might even have the teacher have a watch that, that jingles every 30 seconds. Um, and eventually it'll jingle every 35 seconds, but they'll say, Johnny, you're doing such a good job. So Johnny's getting tons of attention, but if he bites, he, the, the, all of the attention is given to the child that he bit and none of the attention is given to him. That's a very effective intervention in a classroom for attention-seeking behavior. But guess what? If he's doing it because his gums itch and he, you know, it feels good to bite, then giving him tons of attention is not going to fix that. Instead, we would give him something. That we, I have them here too. I can see the box. Um, jewelry that is on a necklace. It's a snap-away necklace, and it's uh, medical-grade, food-grade 
um, plastic that they can chew on that helps them when the, the nerves are starting to come alive. This happens with a lot of kids with autism. But imagine if we didn't realize what the function was. If we gave them jewelry when it was attention, we wasted our time and money. If we gave them attention when it's biting, it's not going to work. So we want to do a functional behavior assessment so we figure out what's really going on so we do the right intervention. Otherwise, we're guessing. You take your car to the, the mechanic and you say, it's, it's making this noise. And you say, I think it's this. And the mechanic doesn't go, oh, okay, well then let me just rip out your carburetor. The mechanic says, give me the keys, let me drive it for a minute. Let me see if I can see what it's doing and then I'm going to do this test. Oh, it's not what you thought it was at all, it's this. And now it's an entire, and we were efficient at fixing the car. Why would we be less efficient with our kids that we love than we are with our car, with our mechanic? The FBA figure it's driving the car and figuring out what's going on so we know the appropriate intervention. So ask for an FBA by a board certified behavior analyst at BCBA. An LRE evaluation, on your child's IEP, there is a page that says it's the LRE page. You can find it and I encourage you to. And it lists why your child is in the setting that they're in and, and why they didn't qualify for a, a more restrictive or a less restrictive environment, right? Um, and you can ask them to evaluate that again. And you can say, no, 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 we'd like that reevaluated. If so many of you have written to me at this point in school and said, my child is in a setting where they're starting to act out and they're starting to do things that the other kids in the classroom are doing and I don't really know what to do. Asking for an LRE evaluation is a really good thing to do because if your child is bored and everybody around them is hand flapping, of course they're going to hand flap. But if they're not bored and everybody isn't hand flapping, perhaps they won't, right? And school gets upside down on this and says, well, we have to see the behavior go away before we can put them in a less restrictive environment. No, no, that's not true. Do the evaluation. I loved one time uh, I was told to ask for a recreational aid evaluation, didn't know there was such a thing, but if the problems that you're having are on the playground, you might want to ask for a rec recreational aid evaluation and then having a recreational aid come in, which means that there's somebody on the playground with them to help. And the great thing about a rec recreational aid is a good one isn't just going to work with your child, they're going to work with the whole class so that they all play well. When I had that aid come to the classroom, that that teacher was like, oh my gosh, this was the best thing that happened all year long because I have all kinds of kids who are bullies and, and don't know how to play well with other kids. They have older brothers and sisters that are bullying them and they think that's the thing to do. And this person came in and taught them how to play with each other. Ask for a recreational aid evaluation. Prefer other things that you can be asking for, preferential seating if your child is fuzzing out at a certain point during the day and losing focus. Maybe they need to be moved to the front of the classroom where there isn't a girl with a blonde ponytail that keeps bouncing every 30 seconds in front of them, right? Uh, a lot of our kids need a one-on-one -on -one aid and we'd be so successful if we could successfully fight for a one-on-one -on -one aid. We've done a whole show on that that you might want to Google and find, um, but I'm really a fan of that. And IDEA supports that if we can show that the child can be successful with support at accessing that curriculum. And a lot of our kids, that can be the case. We, can, we have a long list of accommodations that you can make, things like having manipulatives, uh, books to take home. There are so many different things that you can ask for. If you tell me a specific thing that's going on, I can tell you a specific thing. 
Now, the last thing that I put on the list because I felt that these were the important things was push out, pull ins. So, and, the, and I think it's important that you understand the difference between the two. Um, and they both can be appropriate depending on the kiddo's needs and what's going on and what's happening in the classroom. But let's talk about some of the other services that your child has, like OT. They might have adaptive physical education, APE. They might have, I hope they have speech and language, right? And a lot of times that is, um, they, they, they get pulled out. Um, so, you know, the speech and language pathologist will arrive at the door of the classroom and say, I'm here to get Becky, be, and, and they, they won't announce to the class what they're going for, but Becky says, okay, and Becky skips off and goes to the speech and language pathology room, and then when they're done, the, the SLP brings Becky back to the classroom. All right. Um, and sometimes that's ideal, especially if we have a kiddo that has problems with focusing and there's too much noise in the classroom. Um, and they need to be working on things in a separate place that's quieter, that's sensory stuff. It also gives them a break walking to and from. It can be a really good and positive thing until they get to a certain age and a certain skill level where it becomes frustrating that you came and got me right when they're doing something that I want to do and the other kids are going, why are you going someplace else? And, you know, it, and now they missed something when they were in the classroom and they come back and they're behind, right? And maybe they're struggling with connecting with the kids in the classroom. So then I would say, no, 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 with the pullout. And I would go to a push in where we have the speech and language pathologist come into the classroom and we are in cahoots about that, that we do that during a time when we're trying to work collaboratively and they help them to be able to um, use what they've learned in that group setting, right? Well, we can do this with all kinds of things. There's a time and a place when it's great for OT to take the kid out and give them a sensory break and let them work out some of their yayas, right? But then there's also a time to have that be a push in. I, I put them backwards, uh, the push out, pull in. It's, it's uh, pull out, push in. What can I say? Uh, so, but sometimes it's important for them to be there to help them to deal with the sensory things happening in the classroom. So I just want parents to be mindful about that sometimes if you have the wrong one, it can be creating problems. Your child's getting behind in certain things um, and the stigma of being pulled out of the classroom is no longer of benefit that it was before. So be mindful that you can be saying, we don't want to do that anymore. And, and also, if they're being taken out during core curriculum time, I go back to the thing I was saying about the evaluations. Don't let them do that. And you got to check up on that because I remember the, you know, we had a new person start it. And, and I was seeing my son's report card and he was so good at math and all of a sudden he had all these zeros. And I said to the teacher, why does he have zeros? And she said, oh, well, he's not here when we give the test. I mean, you know, do I want to like say to this person, honestly, really? Are you kidding me? Uh, but I also went back, I called an emergency IP and said, why is this happening? Who isn't talking to somebody? Uh, you know, because, you know, why are you having a test when he has a, a, somebody coming to take him out to go do something else? Why weren't, why did, who changed the time? Because it wasn't this way before. And why aren't you talking to each other? And really shame on you. But that is a reason to have an emergency IEP when they're not discussing things like that. You, you can't just fail your child because he wasn't there because they, uh, no, don't even get me started. Anyway, um, 
this is why you got to talk to them because as much as we think that their best interest and their top priority is your child, it isn't. And you, that has to be your job. So we're already on number three and I'm almost out of time. Let's go number four. I got to go faster. Number four, consult with your ABA provider. Yes, 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 yes. I said before, I'm not Elastigirl. I can't go to classroom and put hands on, but I can work on skills at home that set him up for success in that classroom. So if the teacher is telling me that at home, you know, first of all, I got the note and it said, he kicked Bobby. And I say, what happened before? And it says, well, you know, I didn't have eyes on the situation, but you ask and ask and ask, and you find out that Bobby has been calling your child a horrible, horrible name, right? So now we go back to the child and say, what do we do? Let's work on when somebody calls you a horrible name. What are some retorts that you can make um, back to them? Can you ignore them? And we work on that and rehearse that at home. And our ABA provider gives us a whole bunch of skills to be able to do that. Can you do it sometimes yourself? Sure. But if you have a team who's working on stuff at home, I say let's like dig in. And, and I always think of it of making your child ready for the world because I still haven't found the way, way to make the world accommodate our kids. I'm working on it. Right? But let's get our child so that they have a way of coping that does not get them in trouble. Um, and one of the things that we taught our child is, you know, when somebody does something, like somebody kicks you, right? Um, that you very loudly say, why did you kick me? <laughs> right? And the teacher then turns and goes, what, did somebody just kick you, right? Um, instead of kicking the child back and then watching as they get into trouble. And that that's a powerful thing to teach our kids. So depending on what it is, we want to give them skill build, right? Uh, I just blew uh, Chris's mic out. Sorry, Chris. Uh, number five, uh, prioritizing safety. So many of you have written to me in these first couple of weeks and told me that things are happening at school that are not safe. And I just got to tell you, that has to be your number one priority. Like I was talking about the horn on the head yesterday. This is your number one priority. And you want to flog the school with it and say, you're, you're not safe. You're not being safe. You are not being safe. Because you want to put fear in them. Because if you have publicly and in writing said, my child is not safe and I want to have an emergency IEP meeting to fix it and they don't fix it, um, they know that that's a lawsuit that's brewing for them. And we don't want the lawsuit. None of us wants a lawsuit. And we especially don't want a lawsuit because our child was injured or the ultimate. Children have lost their lives because schools were not paying attention to safety. So I don't want to scare you, but I want to say to you, this is your number one priority and you need to make it school's number one priority. It should already be, and they're going to tell you that it already is, but if, if, there's, if your child is eloping from any area, it isn't. It's not working. Put, them, put their feet on the fire and make them help you to come up with a different plan. And do not relent, do not give up, because it's important. I always tell the story of saying that I didn't want my child to go to a certain kindergarten because the gates, every time I drove by, the gates were all open by busy street. And they were like, nope, 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 very safe. Uh, and I went and toured and said, no, it's not safe. 
And they said, an administrator will meet you there. And they've installed all of these self-closing uh, locks on the gate so that when somebody comes through, it automatically closes. And you can't open it from the outside. Okay, I'll meet the administrator there. I got there and we start walking around the campus. Every single one of those gates was propped open. Every single one had a cinder block or box books or a bag or whatever was propped open. And I looked at her and I was like, okay, so obviously your gate thing not working. And I said to her, you know, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but if it had been me and I knew that I was coming for this meeting, I think I would have gone earlier and walked the whole school and closed all the gates to make sure that it was closed. And the fact that you didn't do that, you know, interesting to me. And she said to me, I'm going to be honest with you because I feel like that's the best thing to do. She said, that's exactly what I did. I came and I walked and I made sure that all the gates were closed. And I said, okay, so you get what I'm saying here, that there is a problem that's not just about the gates. She was like, yep, totally get it. And it's my job now to make it happen. I loved that woman uh, and worked with her many times and... And she was like, nope, got it. I see the problem. Gonna And that school, you know, it was so, 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 so much better. And they had all kinds of policies in place to make sure that those gates, and they threatened staff with all kinds of horribleness if they left a gate open. Be the squeaky wheel, you guys. Be it. Our kids are worth it. Number six, uh, make sure school is fair. Um, if they are asking your kid to do something that isn't fair, like, you know, if your child needs a break, make sure that they're giving them a break. Make sure that the break that they're giving them is an actual break and not a stigmatization. I've seen people, you know, say to kids, here, you can be inside this sensory bag when that wasn't what the kid needed, right? Make sure it is fair. Whatever they're asking your child to do is fair. Um, and, and that is so all-encompassing. I think you guys understand what I'm saying. If there's something... If they're asking your child to ride on a bus an hour each way to school, by the way, that's not fair and IDEA does not support that. Your child has a right to go to the school that is in their neighborhood with, and, and them saying, no, 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 that's not the right setting for them. We need to ship them an hour. No, IDEA, that's not fair. And IDEA is expressly against that. Don't let the school say, well, that's where we have the program. I'm happy for you that you made that choice, but it's illegal. You're supposed to offer me that program in my child's home school. And if you chose not to, that's on you. The law is in your favor. Make school fair. Number seven, uh, you're going to create a new plan with the school. And you have to be a part of that team. And I encourage you to include other people as part of that team. If you have an ABA provider, make sure, especially if you've asked for a functional behavior assessment and that they come back and they say, here's the function of the behavior, here's the behavior intervention plan, make sure you run that by your BCBA who's working with your child at your ABA um, so that you have the right plan. I've seen so many horrible, inappropriate, unprofessional uh, BIPs of late and people doing FBAs and not giving data. And and I would not have known that because I'm not a BCBA, um, but I had years of sitting there with my BCBA and going over and go and them going, oh my goodness, what is wrong with this, these people that they don't know how to write a BIP, a behavior intervention plan. So create the new plan, be on the team, and include people on your team. And if you don't know and you don't have an ABA provider, write to me. Uh, you know, and I will look at stuff and people know. I will, I will comment and go, what? No. 
this is not appropriate. This is not usual. This is not the norm. This is not okay. This is illegal. And, and then you can decide what to do with that, okay? Uh, number, but make a plan. Got to be a new plan. Number eight, you need to check in daily. So here's my tip for this, that there's always a way. You can buy one of those little notebooks and go to the teacher and say, here's my little notebook that I'm putting in this pack of his backpack, and I'm daily going to send you a message to tell you what's going on with him, and I would love it if you could just send me back a daily message. It could be that easy. We also had token economy boards that were different things that um, when my son had a one-on-one aid, so it wasn't the teacher doing this, that we would have the day segmented. It was different times, different charts for different times when he was little, like when he was in kindergarten. He had to get a certain number of stars, and if he got a certain number of stars, then he got either daddy dollars or mommy money, he, he would get $1 that we printed for them and gave to the aide. And if once he got, I think it was like 42 of them, whenever he had 42, we would go to Disneyland that day. And he knew it. And he wanted to get those stars so that he could get that money. Later on, it was, it was things like, um, you know, he, he had to have three green dots. And if he got three green dots, that he got to come home and play an hour of video games when he got home. But that was daily communication, however you decide to do it. Um, but you need to have daily, don't wait for the next IEP to see if things are working. You have to have a way that they are communicating with you daily. Talk to the teacher about what they're comfortable with, whether they're just going to send you an email every day. I think most of them prefer the little note thing, or you can even print out sheets where they, you know, check off and go, you know, great work today, or ask him about this so that you have something to talk about with your child about school. But put that in place and make that part of your IEP so that you can have daily communication. Number nine, because I'm running out of time, uh, you got to ask for help, you guys. Now, sometimes you can write to me and ask for help, and I, will, and I will tell you what I can tell you in the amount of time that I have to tell you, and I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not a BCBA, but I'm here for you, and, I, and people will tell you I do this all the time because this is so important to me that school is good for our kids, right? But, you know, there are, we love to talk about... Um, and of course, now I'm not going to think of what the website is. Somebody help me. Uh, the oh, It'll come to me in just a minute. But there is a, a website that's just about parent advocates um, that are, are actual parents that are lawyers and advocates, and you can search to see where one... Why can't I think what the... Oh, I'm having a brain bubble, you guys. It'll come to me. We'll put it in the notes at some point. Um, but you can you can just search for educational advocate in your area. Um, I talked about Ariva Martin earlier. She has a program that she trains parents in how to be advocates for their child and then to turn around and help other families. So you can reach out to Special Needs Network and see if you want to do that or if they have an advocate that's taken the program in your area. Um, you know, you can find an educational lawyer. I, there, I love to recommend if you have the funds, if you if there is a pocket of money someplace, or you're a rich relative and you can afford to bring an educational lawyer on earlier as opposed to later, you will never be sorry. Uh, it will save your health and save your child's education program. And you don't need to have them every year. If you go in with a lawyer once and fight with the school and get what your child needs, they know that you're willing to do that and spend the money and they will stand down. Because if you get a lawyer, they have to have a lawyer. And their lawyer is more expensive than your lawyer. 
So there is that. If you can swing it, get yourself a lawyer. If you cannot, like many of us, I could not afford that, you can consult with lawyers. Most lawyers will give you a free half-hour consultation and they're happy to do it. You go in with all your ducks in a row and you ask as many questions, you have it on a piece of paper, ask as many questions as possible. Sometimes I have seen a lawyer say, I'm going to take your case because it's so bad and it's so clear-cut, I'm going to take it pro bono, but we're going to build into it that that when you win, they're going to pay my fees, and they win. Um, so don't be afraid to consult a lawyer even if you don't have the money to do it because I've seen that work for a lot of people. Sometimes it means just finding a local support group and saying, is there a mom here or a dad here who's really good at this kind of stuff? But don't be afraid to ask for help. It's a good muscle to strengthen I don't really know anybody who did this all on their own. It's exhausting. And everything else that you have to deal with, school is a nightmare. And there are times when they're going to try to make you feel like you're the crazy one. And you need somebody in your corner to go, no, that's not crazy. Um, you wanting that is not crazy. Them saying you can't have that, that's the crazy. Um, so it's really helpful. Um, so ask for that help. And number 10, uh, perfect timing because we've got two minutes to talk about this. You really can't relent. I hate to say this because I am a former teacher and I love teachers. I don't like administrators. You know why? Because they're the people who have the bag of money and they're having to figure out who, you know, how much candy to give everybody. And they have programs that they want to do and our kids don't have full funding. That is, you know, I don't want, I don't want to go political, but I'm going to go political. Um, you know, we're getting ready, we're heating up towards an election next year, and it's really important to me, and, and I've said this before, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw it out there, that I really um, wanted to know who was going to fully fund IDEA in the last election, and I, and I talked about it, I'm going to be talking about it again. I'm going to say that, you know, Joe Biden promised that he was going to fully fund IDEA. And I know that there was a little thing called a pandemic and there have been other things and there are strikes and there are all these other things going on in the world. And he still has a little over a year, but he better do it, <laughs> is what I'm going to say. Um, or somebody else better do it. Um, on the other side, people are saying that they're going to completely defund the education department and that's not good for our kids. I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there. But but the reality, whatever side of the puzzle you're on, the reality of it is, is that right now there is a law of the land that says your child is entitled to, and it's a whole bunch of things, right? And, and the Supreme Court has ruled in the last few years that de minimis, doing the minimum on IDEA is not legal. So legally it's all on your side. The problem is no one, no one on either side of the aisle has ever fully funded it. So there is a bag of money and there isn't enough, which is why these administrators are giving out little amounts and trying to hoard the money because there isn't enough money. You can't participate in that. You have to get very clear that you have to advocate for your child because there is no one else who will. And sometimes that's going to feel bad because they're going to say to you things like, well, if we give a one-on-one -on -one aid to your child, then none of the kids in third grade are going to get the computer lab that they had because that money was earmarked, but now it's going to have to go to your child's aid. That was said to me. And you know what I said? Oh, is that my problem or is that your problem? 
And her response to me was, oh, I had no idea you would be so cold and callous. And I said, who is being cold and callous here? The law says that my son has a right to that and you are trying to shame me out of it. Who is cold and callous? When I say don't relent, I'm saying don't relent. You are going to deal with some bullies, some passive aggressive people who are going to try to shame you and say that your child doesn't deserve something. I'm sorry, that's a lie. Your child does deserve it and the law says so. So the only white flag, and there's a white flag on the screen, that's the school's white flag and you don't give up until they do that. Are you going to get there by yourself? No. You gotta have some help and you gotta steal yourself and not get so emotionally upset about it that it tears the rest of your life apart. I've also been there and done that too. That's why you get the help and the support so that you can fight for your child, know that you are going to win. You will win, the law is on your side. The fact that it's not fully funded, it is your problem, but you do not have to come up with a solution. You just fight for your kid. And I'm gonna tell you something, and somebody shared this with me. If you fight for your kid, it ends up helping so many other kids down the road. Because once the school realizes we can't get away with this and we gotta put this program in effect for this child, it's there for other children too. So fight for your kid, prioritize your kid right now, know that it's gonna help other students down the road and that other students right now are not your issue. You have to fight and advocate for your child. That is your job and I'm here to help you with that. And I know the benefits of when you do that, not only for your child, but for other children coming down the road. And I've had so many teachers and aides come to me after the fact and say, I just really wanna thank you. You fought and I didn't think you were gonna win. I didn't think what you were asking for was appropriate and now I see exactly why it's appropriate and I can't wait until the next student comes along and the parent says, my child needs X, Y, or Z and I'm gonna listen more next time. I've had that conversation. I want you to feel the wonder of what that is when, they, when that happens. All right, I'm past time. Can I tell you how much I love all of you and you're doing a good job and the fact that things, if you're watching this, it's because things aren't going well at school, that's not a reflection of you. But I want you to fight hard to turn it around. Don't wait, don't be one of those, I, sixth grade, I said, okay, I'm gonna fight. I didn't stop fighting, I didn't relent, but I gave them lots of time to correct stuff. Biggest mistake. You ask them to correct something and you check daily and if they aren't correcting it, you ask for more correction and if you have to, you pull your child out of that classroom, away from that teacher, away from that school. You do what you have to so that it's fair and that it's safe for your child. If, you, if it's fair and it's safe and your child is engaged, then you're cooking with gas. Okay, I love you. Um, we're going to be back, I believe, on Monday. I'm not sure. i got to check my calendar. Um, but until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye. Till then. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.